The Avengers. That's what we call ourselves. Sort of like a team. Earth's mightiest heroes type thing. Avengers, time to work for a living. That's my secret. I'm always angry. I am on the side of life. You get hurt, hurt him back. You get killed, walk it off. I'm here to talk to you about the Avenger Initiative. I'm your host, Andrew, and I'm here to talk to you about the Avengers. Welcome to episode 20 of Some Assembly Required, your weekly adventure into the annals of Earth's mightiest heroes, the Avengers. This week we are talking about Avengers number 18, When the Commissar Commands. Now, am I the only one who thinks that sounds kind of like a Beatles song? Maybe a follow-up to Back in the USSR? Okay, probably not, but I like to think so. Our book was written by Stan Lee, pencils by Don Heck, inks by Dick Ayers, and letters by Art Simic, and it comes to us in July of 1965. So without giving too much away here, this is not the best Avengers issue we've covered. It does, however, have a really great cover. This is a super dynamic cover. You've got all four of the Avengers. You've got the Commissar. I love the coloring. It's a really nice cover for a less nice issue. And we get an interior cover again that at least connects to the story, but it's unnecessary. It doesn't give us any more information. It's really just the same scene from a different angle that we'll see later on. Our issue opens with Captain America sitting in Avengers Mansion, though, and Cap's having a hard time here. Cap is really trying to find his place in the world outside of the Avengers, right? Cap is, at this point, pretty solid in what his role in the Avengers is as the leader and as the person training the new members. But Cap's starting to wonder if that's all there is to life for him. Right, two issues ago, three issues ago actually, he sent a letter to Nick Fury looking to get involved with Nick's covert operations. And he hasn't heard anything back. So he's still living in Avengers Mansion, living basically on Tony Stark's dime, and it really bugs him. Cap is a child of the Great Depression, so he feels he needs to work for a living, and while being an Avenger is an important part of that, to Cap, that really doesn't fit the bill of working for a living, and it's bugging the hell out of him. Now, while Cap is contemplating his place in the universe, we see the Maximovs, Wanda and Pietro, and Pietro is watching television. He's watching circus acrobats perform, and Scarlet Witch comes in to offer him a different evening entertainment. She has tickets to Shakespeare's Twelfth Night, and Pietro says, well, it's interesting you mentioned tickets because I have tickets for the circus. And so, moving forward, we see Wanda at the theater seeing Twelfth Night, and we see Pietro at the circus watching the acrobats. Now, one Pietro's oddly obsessed with circus acrobats. I wonder if this is Stan and Don trying to incorporate the idea that they were raised by gypsies into the comic. While I don't know the factual historical evidence, I do know that, you know, gypsies have long been associated, at least in pop culture, with circuses. And at least through, you know, the middle part of the last millennium, so 14th, 15th, into the 16th century, the concept of a circus was kept alive by Romani peoples. So I don't know if that's where Don and Stan are taking this, but it's a little odd. What I do love about this, though, is we get a little bit of insight into into who Wanda and Pietro are. And to me, it says 
so Wanda says how much she had dreamed of being an actress. And Pietro says something along the same lines of how he wished it was him on the trapeze as an acrobat. And it kind of got me thinking that, you know, they didn't really have particularly good childhoods. You know, they were on the run a lot. They're mutants. They're adults now, but they're still fairly young, probably into their early 20s, I would say at this point. And, you know, they really are still kind of living out those childhood fantasies about, you know, I want to be an actor. I want to be an acrobat. And they really are still very young characters at this point. Looking at the Silver Age, we don't tend to think of characters that have been around as long as Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver have as being young because, again, we have, you know, 60 years almost of canon. Well, at some point, they were new characters and they were young, and this is that point. So it's a nice reminder to us of where these characters are in their life. And also to an extent, you know, what kind of life they have. They're finally getting to indulge those childhood fantasies a little bit. They remind me a little bit of an episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine where there's a scene between Dax and Kira and Dax is talking about Kira's underdeveloped imagination and didn't she ever play make-believe as a kid? And Kira says, yeah, I made believe that the Cardassians would stop killing Bajorans. And it's that kind of survivor mentality where you didn't have time for those childish thoughts and pursuits. And in Kira's case, as an adult, she still lacked them. But in the case of Wanda and Pietro... As adults, they're now getting to indulge in that a little bit. And it's nice to see that in these characters, that they're not on the run, that they're not having to think of where their next meal's coming from or who's after them. They can think of, oh man, wouldn't it be really cool to be an acrobat or an actor? But of course, as any good comic or television show or movie goes, the acrobats are working without a net. And one of the acrobats has his hands cramp up and begins to fall to his death and is only just saved by the quick action of Quicksilver, who pulls the net up and the rest of the audience thinks it is part of the act, that he falls and the the net magically levitates up and connects just in time to save him. Which, I gotta say, that would be a really cool act. But in this case, it's not. It's only the quick work of Pietro Maximoff who saves the man. While the Maximovs are off enjoying their entertainment, and by the way, I personally would have totally gone with Wanda. One, I mean Scarlet Witch, a little more my type. But also Twelfth Night is one of my favorite Shakespearean plays, so I would have absolutely been all over that extra ticket. But at any rate, while the Maximovs are enjoying their entertainment, Hawkeye is busy at work in the lab perfecting a new arrow that's a vibrating arrow, and we see him try it out, and it seems to work pretty successfully. But it's also a nice, again, a character moment where the Maximovs are off blowing off some steam they're enjoying some entertainment hawkeye's blowing off some steam by working in the lab and building new cool arrows to him that's what interests him the most part of that comes from him being a performer he's done the entertainment thing before he's seen the inside of entertainment if you will and really instead of that being his interest archery is his passion and so he is spending his time perfecting that Now, at this point, we change scenes for a moment and we shift to what is referred to as the communist-ruled puppet state of Sin Kong, which it's somewhere between a rough stand-in for either Vietnam or China. Obviously, Sin Kong sounds more Vietnamese. The characters look Vietnamese. I'll touch on that art in just a second here. And of course, this is 1965, so we're starting to get into the conflict in Vietnam at this point. And finally, Sin Kong is very close to Viet Cong, which was the insurgent group in Vietnam. So I suspect we're looking at a Vietnam stand in here, but Vietnam or China, it's a little vague. But we shift our focus to Sin Kong, and we are introduced to our villain in this issue, the Commissar 
who is a just massive man, a real mountain of a man. In Game of Thrones, you have, you know, the hound in the mountain. I mean, this is a guy who's built like the mountain. And he is displeased with one of the villages that he rules over. And so he takes it upon himself to demonstrate his brute strength and how that the villagers would be foolish to resist him. And by the end of his demonstration, all the villagers are bowing down before him. So we've talked briefly about some of the art in the 1960s, 1970s, and certainly earlier being kind of stereotypical racist. And, you know, this is one of those times. The Commissar and the Commissar's assistant, if you will. I'm not certain that he actually gets a name until later in the issue. But the Commissar's assistant here, they're drawn very, very stereotypically Asian and not particularly flattering. We saw something similar to this when we introduced Radioactive Man. I should say in the issue that introduced Radioactive Man prior to his joining the Masters of Evil. And of course, if you go back into the 1940s and 50s, especially Especially the 1940s and World War II comics, you see a lot of this. And it's really, again, I the word unfortunate doesn't do it justice. You know, it is moderately offensive. And it's one of those things you kind of have to understand and accept as you read Silver Age comics. It's kind of like reading Tintin. You need to understand and accept that the world was a different place then. And that this was acceptable then and it's not acceptable now. So back in New York, Captain America is listening to the radio and comes across Radio Free Sin Kong sending a request to the Avengers to come and help them. Cap, hearing this message, thinks that if there's an underground freedom movement that's there, we've got to go help them. This will be the perfect chance for me to get in with Nick Fury. Cap says, it's exactly what I've been waiting for. But of course, back in Sin Kong, we see it is in fact a trap. That the Commissar has decided the best way to show his peasants that capitalists are weak and can be destroyed is to take on the mightiest capitalist he can find, the Avengers. I'd call that a solid B-plus plan. You know, there's the heavy political undertones of communism versus capitalism and the weak capitalists and whatnot. But if you're going to say, hey, my enemies are weak, you know, defeating the most powerful ones is certainly a good way to go about doing that. So with this information, Cap immediately calls the Avengers to assemble. And once the Avengers arrive, Cap explains to them what his plan is. And it's a fairly questionable plan. And in fact, Wanda and Pietro actually question the plan. Hawkeye shuts him down basically for the idea of, says, hey, you know, we're supposed to avenge injustice, right? Well, when liberty's threatened, justice goes down the drain. That's it in a nutshell. So, like I said, in general, Cap's plan is questionable. And mostly it's because Cap goes off without any solid, what people would refer to nowadays as actionable intel. Cap just has a radio report and nothing else to back it up. I would not take action based on just that radio report. I would need something else telling me that there is in fact this underground movement and they need our help before I just jump into the middle of a scenario. Or it could be a trap just like they're about to walk into. I also like the fact that Wanda and Pietro question what they're doing. It's one thing to follow Cap's leadership and to accept him as kind of the guiding force, the guiding light behind what they're doing. But they're not blindly following either. When something doesn't feel right, doesn't seem right to them, they are stepping in and they are saying, I don't know that I agree with this. You know, Hawkeye provides a pretty good answer, I think. I mean, the Avengers are there to avenge justice. And communist states aren't exactly known for their uh, high level of justice. So I can buy that, but they're definitely walking into a questionable situation with very little intelligence, and they're going to have to pay for that later. 
So the Avengers take their jet and they fly to Sin Kong and they land what looks like at the airport. So here's the other problem with Cap's plan. They fly to this communist country to fight injustice, to help the resistance movement. They land publicly in basically the middle of town and then they're taken into custody. Like, why would you land in the middle of a population center and just make your presence instantly known? That makes no sense. Where's the subtlety? Where's the subterfuge? The espionage here? Landing in the center of town and saying, here I am, come get me. That's not how you support a underground movement. They're underground for a reason, Cap. And of course, the Commissar and his people are waiting. And they take the Avengers into custody, is not quite the right word, but they escort them to the capital. And just as they arrive in this kind of large courtyard area, Cap hears steel panels sliding into place, sealing them into the courtyard. But of course, the Avengers are not to be caught off guard, and they immediately spring into action. And Cap has Hawkeye use a blast arrow to make an opening through one of these steel panels. And Cap dives right through. So I love the fact that Cap is this kind of gung-ho, I'm going to take charge, I'm the first one up the beach, I'm the first one through the hole. That's leadership, you lead from the front. The problem with that is that Cap is getting a little too protective, if you will. He's trying to bear too much of the weight and telling his teammates to hold back until he says, he actually says, I'll bear the brunt of their first attack. And that's a great concept, but at the same time, then the Avengers don't end up fighting as a team. It's Cap and the rest of them kind of playing cleanup. There are times here where Cap will jump into a situation like this and he will not be in full control of the situation and he will need backup. Part of me thinks that this is actually kind of a holdover from the fact that Cap lost Bucky and that he's trying to protect his teammates, especially this newer generation here who are younger. Right, They're not Bucky young or Rick Jones young, but they're still not Cap's age. You know, he still sees them as people he should protect and not necessarily people who should be watching his back. As all of this is going on, we get to see a little bit more of Wanda and Pietro's powers. I really like Wanda's powers because, especially at this point, they're not overpowered, right? She's not manipulating the entire fabric of reality yet, and they're subtle. Kind of a wave of her hands and suddenly all the guns jam. And they're versatile. The guns will jam here, and then later on, she can trip someone or cause this machine to fail. It's a very useful power, especially when the Avengers at this point are lacking in other areas kind of significantly. Again, they lack a heavy hit or a bruiser. In this case, they can make up for that with, you know, subtle actions, tripping someone, like I said, that kind of stuff to negate the ability of other people. And of course, finally, the Avengers defeat all of the guards that they are up against, only for a trapdoor to open in the floor and for Wanda to fall through. So at this point, I'm thinking the Avengers really need like a protocol for this particular problem, like the, like a trapdoor protocol, because this is the second issue in a row this has happened, and this is like a just a comic book staple here: people falling through trapdoors. You should have a plan for this. All right, you know, people have like hurricane preparedness plans and everything because they live in an area that's hurricane prone. If you're Avenger, you're trapdoor prone, and you should have a trapdoor plan. That's all I'm saying. Now, since Wanda has fallen through the trapdoor, she is the prisoner of the Commissar. And almost immediately, Quicksilver hears his sister screaming, runs off, and finds the cell she's being kept in. And Hawkeye immediately starts using one of his flare arrows to try and melt the bars of her cell. Which, great idea. I like it a lot. Because Hawkeye is showing creativity, and he's not just married to I shoot arrows. Right, The arrows have other purposes, other uses, other than I shoot it with a bow. 
bow. That's an example to me of really good writing. Now, as far as I can tell, the Commissar here, the classy villain, goes for the classics, goes for the old school stuff. And so as the Avengers attempt to free Wanda from this cell, the Commissar starts pumping in sleeping gas, causing the Avengers all to pass out. When they awake, they are in the presence of the Commissar himself. The Commissar then reveals that he has Wanda in a glass tank, if you will, and says that he can kill her instantly by the press of a button. Or more specifically, at one command from me, Major Hoy will press a button, slaying her instantly. I'm a little fuzzy on how that slaying her instantly by pushing a button is going to work, but, you know, we'll accept that for now. So the Commissar says that he'll free Wanda, but only if the Avengers battle him one at a time, while several selected peasants watch from a viewing area. The Avengers agree, and the Commissar changes into his combat attire, which is like a bodysuit and a diaper. Cap even calls it a diaper. It looks really stupid. I understand not wanting to fight in a dress uniform like the Commissar is wearing before, but like, this seems like a bit much. But at any rate, our Avengers each take a turn trying to fight the Commissar. Captain America goes first, then Hawkeye follows, and Quicksilver follows. So I had my money on Captain America because I like Cap. Let's just, let's be honest there. Hawkeye didn't really think Hawkeye stood a chance. And in fact, the Commissar actually messes with Hawkeye's arrows so he can easily deflect them. So Hawkeye is really working at a disadvantage and he's kind of screwed. So with Cap down and with Hawkeye down, I suddenly went, you know, I think Quicksilver's got this. Quicksilver's going to make it happen. And I was let down yet again. So something you all should know about me, I am not a betting man, because I lose bets. I'm a bit of a soccer fan, not huge, but a bit of a soccer fan, so I follow the World Cup when the World Cup is happening. I have lost five out of the last six championships. I have picked the loser five out of the last six World Cups. If you want to know who's going to win the World Cup, bet against me. So my betting that Captain America, Hawkeye, and Quicksilver were going to beat the Commissar is almost ensuring that the Commissar is going to beat all three of those men. And lo and behold, that is exactly what the Commissar does. Just as the Commissar points out that he has defeated all of the Avengers, Cap comes back and said, no, you haven't. They're still the girl. She too is an Avenger. Commissar says, all right, if you really want to bring her into this, deal. So he lets Wanda go and prepares to fight Wanda. But Wanda's got an interesting question. Something Cap prompted her on, but Wanda's got an interesting question. Hey, why does Major Hoy disappear behind the drapes while you do the fighting? The Commissar immediately responds, it's none of your concern, woman. And this is the point at which Stan and Don have ripped off the Wizard of Oz. Because as we find, Major Hoy is in fact behind the curtain, manipulating controls, and it turns out that the Commissar is a giant robot. Yeah. Now, I will give them credit, I didn't really see that coming. Until the point at which Scarlet Witch asked the question, and then I went, okay, Wizard of Oz, got it, I know how we're ending this. Scarlet Witch uses her hex powers to destroy the control panel, causing the Commissar to self-destruct. And in the end, our peasants are all nice and happy, and Wanda is heralded as a hero by the townspeople. And that's the end of our issue. Overall, like I said, not the strongest story we have. It's not bad, but it's weak. You know, at this point, we're pulling from some strings. We got some nice character moments in there, but, you know, at this point, the villain is pretty filler. In general, it's not adding anything to the overarching Avengers story. It's very much one and done, which is fine, but I was kind of hoping for a little bit more with a brand new team. We're also kind of pulling some motifs from previous issues. Back before the changing of the guard, the Avengers had to fight Immortus' champions one at a time. Now they have to fight the Commissar one at a time. And again, they straight up stole the end of Wizard of Oz. In terms of don't pay attention to the man behind the curtains. No! 
as soon as Wanda said that, I knew exactly where we were going, and that takes some of the fun out of it. I like to be guessing up until the end. I mean, I'm an intelligent person. I like to try and figure it out. But if you can throw that little curveball at me, oh man, that's that's the good stuff right there. When you start pulling from a classic 1930s movie that I absolutely recognize the end of the plot to, you, go, mm, you missed that on that one. Again, second issue with the new Avengers. Neither issue has had a particularly memorable villain. I wouldn't necessarily call the first one a filler issue because we got a lot of good team moments in that one. And again, we do get some good individual character moments, but I would generally consider this issue really a filler. I'm looking forward to the point where we can start getting the Avengers to face some of the more classic Avengers villains. We've got a few more issues, I think, before another Kang return, which will be a lot of fun. And actually, the next two issues involving Swordsman are also quite enjoyable. Again, going back to the art, it's hard. If I am looking at this from a completely 100% objective view of just the quality of the art, not its content, but just the physical quality of the art, the art looks good. The problem is you can't look at art in a completely contextual vacuum, right? It is not poor quality art. It is certainly in poor artistic taste, and it is certainly poor judgment to have characters that are as stereotypically racial as the Commissar and as Major Hoy. Again, I recognize the 1960s were a different time and a different world that they were living in, so I have to read the issue through the lens of the 1960s, of what was and was not acceptable then. But I also have to recognize that by today's standards, this is very much a not acceptable portrayal of a particular ethnicity. That is a statement of fact. I think we're going to have to deal with this for a little while longer. Thankfully, it will diminish over time. Though again, this is something that is still being dealt with by modern comic readers and writers and artists. And, you know, it's a constant. As societal norms change, we often struggle to keep up with them. So that is our issue. Remember, you can find us at AvengersAssembly.com. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And you can find this podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, and YouTube. If you'd like to be a part of the conversation, send your questions and comments to andrew at avengersassembly.com. Next week, we'll be taking a look at Avengers 19, The Coming of the Swordsmen. All right, hey. All right, good job, guys. Uh, let's just not come in tomorrow. Let's just take a day. Have you ever tried shawarma? There's a shawarma joint about two blocks from here. I don't know what it is, but I want to try it. <laughs>